Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Mondays, wherever you may be across this great nation. We are ready to make sense of the world at large. And we start, just a reminder, every single Monday, uh, I do college football reactions on the Outkick Show. Tuesday, once we have the full reactions of the NFL in place, uh, I focus the Tuesday show on the NFL. Uh, on Tuesday, you also get my college football gambling picks. I'm about to do those as soon as I finish this show. They will be up on Tuesday morning. Uh, gambling picks for the NFL. We had a mediocre uh, to bad college football gambling week. Good weekend in the NFL. Um, but we'll do the outkick six-pack. We'll break down college football. We do that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Gambling picks rolling on. This is a busy time of year. Um, and uh, appreciate all of you uh, hanging out with us as we power through and begin the month of October. Now, this is crazy. A lot of college football teams have already played five games. College football has the longest offseason and the shortest season of any popular sport in America. And believe it or not, many college football teams are nearly halfway through their season now, the regular season anyway. We've got five games. And we're starting to get a decent size sample size of what we can expect from those teams. So let's start uh, with USC Colorado, which I'm betting is probably going to end up being the most watched game of the week. And I asked a question uh, on Saturday as I was driving through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru uh, right after my uh, third grader had his flag football game. Uh, as USC, I believe, was down... 35 to 7, or, or sorry, as Colorado was down to USC, something like 35 to 7, 34 to 7, something in that neighborhood. I asked, was Colorado the most overhyped team in recent college football history? And I do think the hype machine has been off the charts for Colorado. Colorado now is 3 and 2. They got obliterated by Oregon. To their credit, fought back in a big way in the second half. And I'll talk about what we've learned, not only about Colorado, but USC. But I do think it's worth contemplating all of the attention that Colorado has gotten, given that if Colorado can get to a bowl game, it will be an impressive turnaround from 1-11. But if you look at the rest of Colorado's schedule going forward, it doesn't set up very well. And... I do think the hype that has surrounded Colorado is beginning to fade in a big way, but I just want to hit you right now with what the rest of Colorado's schedule looks like. And I do think, uh, as you break all this down, Colorado getting to a bowl game is not a foregone conclusion. And there have been a lot of teams that have been overhyped over the years. I would say the data reflects that Notre Dame is probably the most overranked and overhyped team in college football on average over much of the last 25, 30 years. Why is that? I've actually written a lot about this over the years. I think it's because a lot of people aren't college football fans in the Northeast, and they almost exclusively focus on Notre Dame because Notre Dame has the biggest fan base in the Northeast. And Notre Dame has been overwhelmingly uh, overrated over the years. 
We'll talk about Notre Dame a little bit in their game against Duke here in a little bit. But if you look at Colorado right now, I give all the credit in the world to Dion for what he has done in terms of making Colorado relevant so far. But look at the remaining schedule. At Arizona State, that's Colorado's around a five-point uh, favorite. I think Arizona State has a good chance to be very competitive and potentially win that game. Stanford is bad. Colorado should beat Stanford. At UCLA, UCLA will be favored. Oregon State, Oregon State, I believe, will be favored. Arizona, uh, I think Arizona is probably going to be favored. That'll be close to a pick'em, I would expect. At Washington State, uh, Colorado is going to be an underdog. At Utah, underdog. And other than Stanford, I'm not sure any of these games as uh, as definite wins. So I think if Colorado can get to six and six, it will be a very impressive season for Dion. But question for all of you out there. When is the last 6-6 six and six caliber team that has received the amount of media attention that Colorado will have received? And I'm not even sure they're going to get bowl eligible. Again, I just ran through the remainder of that uh, roster. Stanford is the only team that really stands out as, hey, Colorado should definitely handle them. We'll get a good read against Arizona State this weekend. Remember, Colorado was already fortunate to beat Colorado State. Uh, they had to go to overtime, come back with a late touchdown drive to be able to do that. Why do I bring it up? Well, I'm curious what's going to happen going forward because Colorado is going to be very active, I think, in the transfer portal. But do you know where Colorado ranks right now for recruiting class composite rankings as of, I say right now, as of yesterday when I wrote the starting 11? 75th overall. 75. Now, to be fair, uh, Colorado does not have a lot of committed recruits right now, but 75th overall is troubling. Most of the top recruits in college football, for those of you like me who are recruiting junkies, you understand that most of the top classes in college football are already locked and loaded. In other words, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, the usual suspects at the top of the recruiting rankings, they've all got 20 or more recruits committed. You can start signing in a couple of months now. Remember, they have the early signing period and then the late signing period. There just aren't that many top four- and five-star recruits that are still out there available. Around 75% of them, I believe I'm correct, have already signed. So how is Dion planning on remaking this Colorado roster in the offseason? I think this is a real question uh, because the, the transfer portal is certainly a viable option, right, for him to be breaking down and expecting that he's going to get uh, a lot of good playmakers in the transfer portal. But there aren't that many playmakers available out there, and I do think this is going to be a big challenge, and I haven't heard anybody really address how he's going to remake the roster. And that presumes, by the way, that, for instance, Shadur, his son, is going to come back to Colorado and not go pro when there does seem to be some interest in Shadur going pro. Just to factor in. Uh, biggest takeaway, though, on a national level, that's my analysis of Colorado football as we near the halfway point of year one with Dion. Bigger question on a national level from that game, 
I'm eliminating USC as a national title contender based on what I've seen from the Trojan defense against Arizona State last week and against uh, Colorado on Saturday. As good as Caleb Williams is, and he had six touchdown passes, and I think Colorado gave up 48 points, whatever the math was on that game, as good of a performance as Caleb Williams had, the USC defense is not good enough to win a national title. Now, you'll remember before the season, I said my four playoff predictors. I said the one seed, Georgia, two, Florida State, three, Michigan, four, USC. We made it through September, and all four of my playoff teams are still in the top 10 most likely teams to win a national championship. USC doesn't have a good enough defense right now to win a national championship. This seems to be the curse of Lincoln Riley, is that his team is just good enough uh, to be able to dominate on the football field when it comes to offense, but it never seems to come to fruition when it comes to uh, the uh, when it comes to the defensive performance that they need to be able to put forward. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. So, uh, I am eliminating USC as a viable national title contender. I still think Caleb Williams will be the overall number one pick. I actually think it'll be Caleb Williams one, Drake May two, as I've said for some time, North Carolina's quarterback. Uh, but to me, USC's defense under Lincoln Riley, based on what we've seen against Arizona State and Colorado, is not good enough to be able to win a national championship, even though the offensive side of the ball is truly incredible and electric. All right, let's talk. We had a lot of big games in the SEC. I want to talk about all of the SEC performances. I'll give you my outkick top 10. We'll talk about Duke uh, and uh, Notre Dame and the, the, the way that game ended. But let's start with Georgia. A lot of questions about the Georgia Bulldogs, two-time defending champs. What were they going to be able to be capable of this year? We've seen two SEC games so far from Georgia. They were down at the half to, uh, to South Carolina. Uh, and then they were behind in the third quarter and I think the start of the fourth or whatever it was against Auburn. And they were behind for a lot of this game. Auburn came out and got up 10 nothing. First, let me say about Auburn and Hugh Freeze. This was why, to me, the hiring of Hugh Freeze made so much sense for Auburn. I think within a year and a half, uh, certainly next year Auburn will be a lot better. By year three, I think Auburn will be back to upper echelon in the SEC West. I didn't see anything from Auburn that made me question whether Hugh Freeze is a guy that will get them back. Auburn can barely throw the ball at the quarterback position, and I thought the game plan that Hugh Freeze devised to be able to run with the quarterbacks, to be able to have the success that they did, was a strong testament to his ability to grow that program, to be able to be that competitive against Georgia. But to me, the big storyline coming out of this game was Brock Bowers, might be the best player from a purely uh, purely on-field dominant perspective relative to his other positions, right? Relative to other tight ends, I think you can make an argument that Brock Bowers is already a top 10 college football tight end, but also a top 10 NFL tight end. I don't see how this guy wouldn't be able to immediately translate on an NFL team. For instance, I would love my Tennessee Titans to have Brock Bowers right now. I think he could be dominant on the field. Uh, credit to Carson Beck, who made a lot of big throws in the second half. But if I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, 
as happy as I am about the back-to-back national titles, focusing on this year alone, I think that Georgia is further evidence of the most mediocre SEC that we've seen in 20-some-odd years. I don't think the Bulldogs have come out against South Carolina and against Auburn and distinguished themselves relative to the rest of the conference. I think Georgia is good. I don't I don't think they're going to go undefeated. I don't know who's going to beat them. We'll see. I don't think Kentucky's going to beat them, for instance, this weekend. I'll have my gambling picks up shortly. Uh, I don't think Mizzou's going to beat them. I think Tennessee might, but I'm not sold on Tennessee, and I'll talk about the volunteers here in a moment. Uh, but I don't think the ceiling for Georgia is very high right now. Uh, give Georgia credit for winning on the road against Auburn, but I thought Auburn gave them everything they had. Um, and so Georgia, the ceiling on right now, they have the best uh, the best performance. Remember, there's only three undefeated teams in the SEC right now, Georgia, Missouri, and Kentucky. Georgia's the best team in the SEC right now. I don't think the ceiling is very high, and I don't think there's that big of a gap between Georgia and the rest of the SEC. Blood bank guarantee hit with ease. Kentucky absolutely obliterated Florida. To me, the first half of Tennessee at Florida may be the most surprising half that we've seen almost in the SEC. I guess you could argue South Carolina at Georgia. But the way that Florida dominated Tennessee was the biggest surprise coming out of that game in Gainesville. What Kentucky did to Florida is what I expected to see Tennessee do to Florida. Now, Kentucky ran for over 300 yards. If I'm a Florida Gator fan, I am very nervous about what Billy Napier has left on the schedule. I said Florida I thought was a 6-6 six and six caliber team. I'm going to stick with Florida as a 6-6 six and six caliber team. You could make an argument. We'll see what happens in two weeks when Florida goes on the road against South Carolina. Early spoiler alert, I think South Carolina will beat them. You can make an argument, and I don't think it's a, it's a bad argument, that Florida is going to be the sixth best team in the SEC East this year. I think Vandy's going to be the worst. But I think if you look at the totality of the schedule, and I know Florida beat Tennessee, I think Georgia, Tennessee, uh, South Carolina, Missouri, and Kentucky are all going to be better than Florida this year. Uh, And I think the Gators are really going to struggle. All I saw in that game was more evidence of this. Now, Kentucky Wildcat fans are ecstatic right now. They're 5-0. Here's the problem with the back half of the Kentucky schedule. There are seven games left. I think Kentucky is a real good chance of going three and four. To me, Kentucky, eight and 14. I think they're going to struggle to beat Tennessee, will not beat Georgia. I think that Louisville game, if you want to point to a team that's outperforming expectations and really performing at a high level so far, Louisville's five and oh. Uh, I think Missouri will be a tough game. I think South Carolina will be a tough game. Remember, Kentucky also draws Alabama, which is not fortunate for them as their cross-division rival. Um, I think Kentucky is going to end up three and four in their final seven games. I think they will finish around eight and four, potentially even seven and five. So I don't buy into the Wildcats as a legitimate threat in the SEC East, but congratulations, Kentucky with three straight wins over Florida, something that has not happened since the 1950s. Tennessee got revenge over South Carolina. This was a big win, I think, for Josh Heupel. 41-20. Tennessee never really in doubt. Uh, Once Spencer Rattler threw the pick six near the end of the first half. Um, To me, the biggest takeaway from this game is I still don't really have a sense for Tennessee. 
Tennessee's going to get two weeks to get ready for uh, Texas A&M. But much like I said, the back half of the schedule is still very weighted for Kentucky. Tennessee has Kentucky and Missouri on the road, Alabama on the road, uh, Georgia in Knoxville, A&M in Knoxville. Those five games to me, I think Tennessee could probably go three and two in those five. Um, would make Tennessee a nine and three, eight and four caliber team. I think that's probably where my expectations are. Uh, what's disappointing to Tennessee fans is Tennessee's better than Florida. They should have beat Florida. They didn't. They choked that game away, actually got whipped in the first half. But if Tennessee, given the win over South Carolina after what happened last year, giving up 63 points, Spencer Rattler being unstoppable. I think Tennessee is way better on the defensive line, particularly uh, uh, getting pressure on the quarterback than they were last year. But with the Bruma McCoy injury, I don't think Tennessee is elite in the uh, in the playmaking ability at wide receiver. Maybe not even that good. Uh, we'll have to see. There's a lot of young talent there. Uh, but you're dealing with Tillman being gone. You're dealing with uh, the loss of, of, of certainly uh, a lot of playmaking ability there. Jalen Hyatt five touchdowns against Alabama, take the top off the defense. You just don't have that ability. But I do think in two weeks, Tennessee has a good chance to beat Texas A&M, get to five and one, and then the second half of the season, we'll see whether or not they truly have the ability to take it to a next level. Um, For South Carolina, sitting at two and three, two weeks to get ready for Florida. I think South Carolina will beat Florida. I think South Carolina is another one of those seven and five, eight and four caliber SEC East teams. Uh, They've had a tough schedule, losses on the road at Tennessee and Georgia, uh, the loss in the opener to undefeated UNC. We'll see what the back half looks like uh, for South Carolina. Uh, So, Ole Miss, huge win for Lane Kiffin. Huge win for Lane Kiffin. Uh, Nearly uh, LSU coming back in a big way. To me, LSU is the most disappointing team in the SEC so far this year. Um, And people say, okay, what do you mean by that, Clay? Well, LSU won the SEC West last year, and returning with the level of talent that they have, they shouldn't be giving up 711 yards on the defensive side of the ball. They shouldn't have needed, I think they gave up 31 to Arkansas. Uh, They obviously got wrecked in the second half by Florida State. The game on the road against Missouri on Saturday is a potential oh-no moment for Brian Kelly in year two. The expectation was that LSU would be back to a championship level. If they lose their six-and-a-half-point favorite against Missouri, then there is, I think, a lot of panic that is going to set in. It also raises the question, did we overrate that win that FSU got over LSU in week one? Um, I think there's potential threat uh, that we did. And so as we're analyzing the SEC right now, um, I think you have to start to say, again, ceiling is a lot lower than we have seen in past years. And so here is my SEC power rankings as we sit at the end of September. I've got Georgia number one overall. I think you have to put Georgia there sitting at 5-0, and even though the schedule is not particularly challenging. Uh, I've got Bama at two overall. Solid win on the road against Mississippi State. Week before, solid win against Ole Miss. Defensively, I think Alabama is very good. They're going back to that uh, defensive mindset. 
with a game manager at quarterback. They barely threw the ball against Mississippi State. I don't think Alabama has elite uh, wide receiver talent. I don't think their offensive line is very good. Their quarterbacks are just okay. I think the strength of this Alabama team is all in the defensive side of the ball, and I think you're seeing Nick Saban now call games in that fashion. Kentucky, I've got third overall. I just told you that I expect the Wildcats to go three and four or something like that down the stretch, but they'll get an opportunity to prove that they are a legitimate threat on the road against Georgia. I don't think that they will have much success. I think Georgia will play really well at home against Kentucky. Uh, Ole Miss, I've got at four overall. Huge win for Lane Kiffin over LSU and probably what was the single most entertaining game of the weekend. I've got Missouri at five. Uh, I did not think they were great against Vanderbilt. Don't know why Clark Lee called off the dog, stopped that game with like two minutes left and basically punted and didn't even use his timeouts. Come on, can we try to get a cover there? Uh, but I've got Missouri at five overall. We'll get a good read of them. They get to go back to Columbia uh, in that home game against LSU, but their schedule gets a lot more difficult on the backside too. I've got AM at six. Um, that A&M-Bama game, I'm going to be down in College Station for this one. I'm excited to see it. Uh, then we got Tennessee at 7. Still don't know what we get from the balls. That Tennessee-A&M game is going to be the CBS 330 Eastern game. Uh, if Tennessee can win that one, and I think Tennessee will probably be favored in that one, coming off of the Alabama game, no matter how it goes, it'll be a tough situation for A&M to make that turn. I've got LSU at 8 overall. A&M's a tough team to judge because of how bad they were in that Miami game. Uh, but otherwise, they've been very solid. I've got LSU at 8, Auburn at 9, Florida at 10. Uh, Arkansas, the Razorbacks I've got down at 11, was not impressed. They were dominated by Texas A&M. Uh, Arkansas looks like a, a team that's going to struggle to get bowl eligible to me at this point in time, uh, sitting at 2-3 and three, uh, as they get ready for uh, even more challenging, I would say, back half of the schedule. Uh, South Carolina, I've got at 12. I think the Gamecocks will end up around 7-5. and five. Mississippi State at 13, uh, and Vanderbilt at 14. I told you I was going to talk about the Duke game. I, I watched this game, and to me, I was just very surprised that Duke made the decision to drop 8 into coverage on 4th and 16 against Sam Hartman and Notre Dame. Uh, you have been getting pressure on Sam Hartman. He doesn't have time to throw. You've been doing it for that entire drive. You've been out physically the other team. And then you make the decision to only rush three to drop eight. Credit Sam Hartman for that scramble and being able uh, to get uh, the first down there. Then you give up their touchdown run. By the way, I lost on Patrick Mahomes not scoring on Sunday Night Football. And I lost on Duke scoring there. Probably taking a knee at the one was the right play. Instead of scoring, then converting on the two-point conversion play. Talk about a brutal beat. Uh, I'm losing on guys making the right decision to end games. And I'm losing on guys making the wrong decision to end games. That's a tough double to have both of them. I don't remember winning a game on a guy scoring on a late touchdown or making the decision not to score uh, so far in, like, ever <laughs> from a gambling perspective. Um, but I, I, I imagine when Duke goes back and looks at that, the way that that scenario ended, that they will say, hey, how in the world did we make that choice 
not to uh, go guns blazing, so to speak, on that final drive. Notre Dame now still alive for the playoff. I think it's a long shot. They've still got Clemson. They've still got SC. Uh, and they're going to have a tough game this weekend against Louisville. I actually like Louisville in that game. You'll see my gambling picks up tomorrow. Uh, but for Duke to have the injury happen there, also to Riley Leonard, it's just how fine the line is between success and failure. I hope Riley Leonard uh, is going to be okay before all is said and done. I do think that Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, it's worth thinking here, what are the odds that these guys end up in another three-way tie scenario, potentially all 11-1 and one, and all with the same one loss in, uh, in the conference where the round robin is set up? I don't think it's crazy to start to ask that question right now uh, because we're halfway through the season and you could easily see a scenario where Michigan State loses on the road against Penn State and, uh, sorry, Michigan loses on the road against Penn State and then also... Ohio State beats Penn State in Columbus, and then you end up in a situation where Ohio State goes on the road, loses to Michigan in Ann Arbor, and everybody is around Robin one loss. How would that scenario play out? I don't think that's crazy to think about right now, and that's why I've got all of these teams uh, in my outkick top 10. Now, remember, uh, that is the Big Ten East teams. I only rank teams based on what we've seen on the field. Not what we expect to see, what we have actually seen on the field. And this is a wobbly number one. Right now, I've got Florida State still number one because the win on the road against Clemson and the win over, uh, uh, as you break it down, the win against LSU, road neutral, those are two really quality wins, okay? So I still have them number one, but that is becoming very wobbly. You'll look at the Boston College performance. You'll look at the fact that they were outgained by Clemson and the fact that it doesn't, to me, seem like there has been a very substantial performance uh, from, uh, from LSU since that game. All right, so I got Florida State one. I've got Texas two. Uh, we'll see how the Longhorns do this weekend against Oklahoma. Oklahoma under the radar, undefeated, kind of a good spot for the Sooners. I've got Oregon third overall. Uh, Oregon's 5-0. and Absolutely dominated against Colorado. Started off slow against Stanford, but kept rolling. I've got Michigan four. Michigan's four right now for me because they haven't played anybody good. Um, if you want to argue who's been the most dominant through five weeks, I think you could say Michigan because they have not been in a remotely close game. They went on the road. And just obliterated Nebraska. Uh, I expected better from the Big Red. Uh, Penn State, I've got at five overall. Um, to me, Penn State has been really, really good. Went on the road against Northwestern. Went on the road against Illinois. Uh, beat uh, West Virginia. And also just, uh, just dominated against Iowa. Penn State has been in very good shape. Not really in a questionable game so far. Ohio State, I've got at six, uh, wins the close game against Notre Dame. Uh, the, the Ohio State game at Wisconsin is one I have circled because it's probably the most challenging Big Ten West opponent uh, that, that we have left there. But I've got Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State there at four, five, and six. Washington, Michael Penix Jr., uh, the Huskies, have been arguably the most impressive team so far in the Pac-12. 
that game in two weeks, Washington hosts Oregon. It's a monster Pac-12 game. Uh, Going to be a lot of fun to watch that one on October 14th. I've got Georgia at eight overall. Um, again, Bulldogs not great, but they're five and zero. Oh. Uh, Miami, I've got at nine. A lot of that on the credit and strength of the win over Texas A&M. Because other than that Miami game, I think there's a strong argument that A&M is the second best team in the SEC so far. And then I've got Alabama at ten. Again, if I think Texas is as good as I think they are, then that Alabama loss to Texas not bad. So there is my top ten. Uh, I appreciate all of you. Tomorrow, I'll break down everything in the world of the NFL. We have got a Monday night football game tonight. Uh, Let me get the latest number on that and give you my pick uh, for Monday night football, uh, which will complete NFL week four. Needless to say, I was in attendance for that game against the Bengals, and I was very excited by what I saw in that game. Tonight, uh, we've got the Seahawks going up against the Giants. This is a tough one. Um, man, I'm going to take, oh, this is a tough one. I'm going to take the Giants plus the two and a half in this one. Um, don't feel really strongly on either side, uh, but I'm going to take the Giants plus the two and a half uh, in this one against the Seahawks tonight. Uh, Bears, Commanders, oh, you poor Bear fans. Lots of reaction on the NFL tomorrow. Uh, thanks as always for watching and for listening. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. Gambling picks tomorrow on all the college football games going up. I will see you guys tomorrow.